Sorry, I got started late tonight, trying to do, do two things at once, so. Okay, tonight we are going to be discussing the parable of the wedding feast. That's in Matthew 22, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 22. Hope everybody's doing well and staying warm. It's supposed to get colder through the night, so bundle up. Okay, let's read this together, and um, then we'll start talking a little about what the parable means. This is actually an interesting parable because there's almost two parables in one. And so as we read, focus on verses 1 through 10, and then notice in verse 11, you kind of have a shift in the thought. So 11 through 14 is the second part B of the parable. And then we'll, we'll do some practical application. All right, Matthew 22, beginning in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can, as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. When the king came back, or came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. All right, y'all kind of see the two parables in one there? Verses 1 through 10 is a story about people who were invited, those who didn't come, and eventually he filled it up. The second part, starting in verse 11, is where the king shows up and he spots a guest who was not dressed for the occasion. All right, so let's see if we can at least break down some of the symbolism in the parable. In this parable, who do you think the king is? Okay, the king is God. We've got a microphone here, so we'll uh, try to catch him. How about the son that this wedding feast is supposed to honor? Hang on. All right. You'll get your steps in tonight. Thank you, sir. It would be Jesus Christ. Okay, so the king is a father. The son in the wedding feast is Jesus Christ. They're here to honor him. Guests have been invited. All right, so who were the guests that the formal invitations went out to initially? The Jews. All right. And uh, basically, uh, the Jews... In this case, they refused to go even though everything had been prepared and they were particularly invited, right? All right. So let's shift over to those who are uninvited but gathered. Who do you think those represent? Anybody? 
It's just going to be Roy tonight. Nobody else? I did my homework. <laughs> All right, Roy. It's the Gentiles. Okay, the Gentiles were gathered from everywhere, and they did come, didn't they? They did. They actually came and filled up the wedding hall. Okay? So here's one that's a little more difficult to try to discern. There was a man found with improper clothing in the second part of the parable. Who does that man represent? Okay, let's get the microphone over to you. Thanks, Jim. Well, Donna said Satan. <laughs> okay, Satan. Do, how many of you, should we vote? No. Okay, what, y'all think it was Satan? The imposter? Deception? That's a pretty good guess. I would say it's akin to Satan, but let's see what Ryan has to say. I guess, I'm guessing those who were invited and yet did not obey so perhaps a Gentile who did not follow Jesus' command to be baptized. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to tend to go with Ryan's interpretation. I think the, <clears throat> the wedding guest who came, Jew or Gentile, probably had a legitimate reason to be there. It sounds like the servants went out and almost dragged people in, right? Going to the highways and the byways, it says good and bad. So... The person had a reason to be there, right? They had probably been invited, but yet when the king, the master came and observed, he was able to discern the person was not properly dressed. Now, this is interesting because the servants who were admitting people into the door let the guy in, right? It was only the king who was able to discern that this guest was not properly dressed. And so he, he basically stopped everything, said, you're not fit for the occasion, and commanded him to be bound, thrown outside. And literally, uh, it says that he was put in the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we're going to talk more about that, Ron, and see if your theory is correct. Did the guy have a place being there, and why was he cast out? Okay. So we'll go over this real, real quick. Uh, the king is God. The son is Christ. Uh, one thing that's interesting, the messengers who were dispatched were probably prophets, right? Because it says here in the parable that um, some of the guests who had been invited, they seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. And the king was angry. So I think this is maybe the king who's dispatching people and sending invitations out. And those whom were invited uh, treated the, the messenger shamefully, all right, and killed some of them. The invited probably represents the Jews who refused to go. And uh, we'll talk a little bit in just a minute about why the king in this particular parable was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed murderers and burned their city. All right, we'll talk about that in just a minute. The uninvited probably were Gentiles and all other races that eventually came to know God and accepted the gospel. They were gathered from everywhere. They did come, some of them good, some of them evil. And the last is the one who had improper clothing, who was bound and cast out. So I call him or her the imposter who is improperly prepared. Um, you think you belong. You think you're going to be able to stay there, but you're not clothed properly. Okay. Um, Matthew 24 is an interesting chapter because in it, it talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, remember when Jesus was walking around, he saw the temple and he mentions a stunning announcement that there will be no stone unturned. Some of these stones in the temple weighed eight tons. There will not be one stone on top of the other, he said. And then the apostles were kind of grilling him like, Master, wh what are you talking about? When is this going to happen? So who can tell me when was Jerusalem and the temple destroyed? A.D. 70, A.D. 70, 
the Jews had basically had enough of the rebellious activity of, of uh, the Romans had had enough of the, of the Jewish rebellion. And this period of time is called the Jewish Wars, where certain Roman commanders were coming in in very strong militaristic campaign, and eventually Jerusalem was raised, the temple was raised, uh, it was pretty much destroyed. And so I believe, I think you could make a connection about the king being angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. In other words, why would God be mad at the Jews? They killed the prophets. All right. What else? The one that they were honoring for the oh, excuse me, for the wedding feast. Right. And the Jews, they were jealous and they walked away from it. They want nothing to do with him, just as they are today. The son who should have been honored, right, and praised, the Jews, or invited guests, rejected and gave all kinds of excuses and reasons for not even acknowledging the son at the wedding feast. And so this made uh, the king very angry. The son whom I'm wishing to honor, and I've, I've prepared everything, um, you're not even going to come. And you know what's so sad, Roy, is these Jews had grown up at the feet of Jewish scholars, of Rabboni, of teachers, you know, learning all of the Torah and the laws of Moses and, and the prophecies about the coming Messiah. No Jew out there was clueless about the Messiah. They all longed for his coming. They looked forward for his coming. But yet when Messiah came, not being the man they expected, they rejected him. So the one they rejected was actually the Son of God. They accused him of blasphemy, of being in cohort with Beelzebul, the devil. They, they instead of falling down and praising Jesus, who did miracles in their very presence. They were eyewitnesses to miracles. They accused him of violating the Sabbath and doing these miracles through the power of Satan. So was the king mad? Was the father mad? Yeah, he was. And so God used Rome to basically punish these rebellious Jews. Now, there was a dispersion. There were some that went out and started congregations in other places, but in Matthew 24, we see Jesus predicting the destruction of Jerusalem. And this period of time called the Jewish Wars around A.D. 70 is where Rome became extremely violent toward Jews and raising the city. All right, any comments or questions at this point? Does the parable make sense? Yes, Jim? Thank you. In verse 10, they talk about you know, they had both good and evil, you know, people there. Right. But yet, God found one person not, wedding, not in the wedding dress. Right. And bound them and, and kicked them out. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between that one person versus the other evil? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we're going we're gonna to delve, delve in a little deeper and talk about the difference between those two, one improperly dressed and one that may be good, one that may be evil, and how at some point that is separated or sifted out at the end of time, the judgment. So good, good question, but we're actually going to table that question for just a little while as we progress down through here. I wanted to talk first of all about the Jewish view of the wedding feast. Every Jew when they thought about being with the Lord and the afterlife and Messiah who comes and when they would die, it was Jewish culture to, to understand that they would be sitting at this large table, a banquet table, where Messiah himself would sit and, uh, and dine with them. It was, it was exhilarating to think about this kind of promise in the afterlife. You know, the best meats, the best wine and grapes and cheese and whatever, whatever your heart desired. It was the finest of, of all things, the great banquet, lavishly prepared, choice foods, wine, and they saw themselves sitting with Messiah in their eternal reward. It's interesting if you've got your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 25, and it'll talk about this wedding feast or banquet. Let's look at verse 6. 
Now, at, the, at least in my Bible, in Isaiah 25, there's a heading at the top of the chapter, God will swallow up death forever. So there's your, there's your introduction. This is people who are victorious even in death. All right? So we begin around verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. In other words, all the enemies are conquered. They're now at the victory banquet and rejoicing in this great feast. So this is something that every Jew understood. So when Jesus is telling this parable in real time in Matthew 22, they may be thinking about a great feast and a great banquet, but then they hear that there were certain people who didn't come, certain people that rejected the invitation, that got too busy and didn't want to honor the Son. And I don't know if any of them understood that Jesus was talking primarily to the Jews, those to whom God first came and shared the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, the very Messiah, they rejected. So it's sad. I think about the song we sing, the invitation song, All Things Are Ready. How does it go? Come to the feast. Come for the table now is spread. And if, if you continue singing that song, it says you, you famishing, you weary ones, you'll be richly blessed, you'll be fed. Come to the feast, come to the feast. It's, it's a song really written about this parable. They're inviting people to come. So let's turn to Matthew 25. And Jim, we're going to address your question about clothing. Let me find Matthew real quick. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. So the idea of closing, uh, here we have the parable of the... Um, the judgment day and the Lord sitting on his glorious throne. It says, before him will be gathered all the nations, this is Jews and Gentiles, and separating of the sheep and the goats. Now, uh, what basically separated the sheep and the goats in this account of the Lord's judgment? Who could tell me? Who made it and who didn't make it and why? What? The sheep made it. Oh, the sheep made it, right. Okay. Yeah. The goats the didn't goats make it, didn't right? Make it, one yeah. was on the right, one was yeah. on the left. Okay. And what reason does the teller of this parable, the Lord Himself, give for making it into heaven and not making it into heaven? Thirst and what have you. Okay, so are we beginning to kind of see that clothing, at least in the biblical idea, doesn't really have anything to do with the clothes we wear. It's more about righteousness and obedience. Would you agree with that, Pat? Patsy, okay. And Stacy, do you have a comment? When I've read this... Um I have a feeling that the people that were invited that refused to come didn't like who was getting married. Yeah, yeah. And those I'm too that, busy. No, they didn't like the marriage. Yeah. 
you know, the king's son was marrying somebody they didn't approve of. And it reminds me of the way that they, that the, uh, the Jews treated the Gentiles. They're just not worthy. I, re, I refuse. You know, we may like the Jew, we may like Jesus, but the Gentiles, we, we're not going to stand for that. That's what it reminds me of. Okay. But, but the um, everyone was invited. Some didn't come, probably, but those that did come, what I see about the clothes is that everyone had to change if they were going to come in. Yeah. They were still, you know, you you can't change. You know, they were still who they were, but they changed. But the one, the one that tried to sneak in and bring, he didn't change. He didn't want. He wanted to be there, but he didn't want to change. Yes, he precisely. Bring, he wanted to bring the outside in with him. Yeah, he's and, almost like a goat that sneaks in, right? And he even was so good that he he fooled the attendants at the door, right? Oh yeah, yeah, you're on the list. Come on in, Mister Sheep, <laughs> right? But he wasn't a sheep. He looked a lot like a sheep. He acted a lot like a sheep. But he was a goat. If I can, the 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 tying up. You may you may not agree with this, but. Um, Matthew sixteen nineteen, Jesus said, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When he was bound and thrown back outside where he came from, I think that represents you know, the judgment. Whatever we bind to ourselves here will be powerless to do anything about once we've been judged. But until then, we've got the power. But once, once we've been judged, our hands and feet are bound. And I think that's a symbol of powerlessness. Yeah. I, I've always said it's sort of like when the trumpet sounds, it's like I grew up in the era where there were video arcades. You know, I remember Seawolf. And, you know, you'd put a quarter in and you'd play the submarine game and try to shoot the... And then and you're right in the middle of this really intense video game and all of a sudden... What shows up on the screen? Game over! You're like, no! And you start wanting to put in another quarter and keep playing. But no matter how much you want that game to continue, it's over. It's done. There's nothing in your power to play that game because it's over. And I always say, you know, sort of like when the trumpet sounds, you know, whoever you're with, you may look at each other and go, well... Here we are. This is the day we meet the Lord. You know, there's nothing more I can do. No begging, no pleading, no quarters in the pocket. Doesn't matter. This is it. The time has run out. And there's a finality, isn't there? So there's, I mean, let's just be honest. There's, there's some really um, persuasive goats in the church. Who look a lot like sheep and act a lot like sheep. And it's only the, the father, it's only the king himself who has that ability to discern what's inside. Kind of sobering. They're really good. And so I think, uh, Donna, getting back to your comment, these are people who may be under a delusion, under the control of Satan. They want to be religious. They want to be good. They try to be good. But unfortunately, they're not doing the acts of righteousness in the parable of the sheep and the goats where they rendered acts of kindness and compassion, and they were just simply obedient to the commands. But they were good at a lot of things. They might even be in church committees. They might even be church deacons. But they're still goats. Y'all think there's people like that in the church today? Yeah, there are. I appreciate the role and responsibility of shepherds for encouraging, admonishing, reproving if necessary. But unfortunately, there are goats in the church, and we must be properly clothed. Uh, I read a note that the kaftan, the kaftan is a robe that's sometimes presented to members by the host, it's a white robe, sometimes supplied by the host, sometimes expected where guests come in. Uh, they have to dress appropriately. If you're going to be at this wedding event, this feast, then you need to um, dress appropriately. It, 
And so whether the king supplies it or you bring it yourself, you gotta be in the kaftan, the white robe. So let's talk about some applications. Uh, Jim, if you don't mind, I wanna answer your question about being dressed properly. Uh, Revelation chapter three, four through five, and then verse 18. And then uh, Stacy, could I get you to read Revelation 6, 11? Ryan, Revelation 7, 9 through 13, and Roy, Galatians 3, 27. All right, you ready? Revelation 3, 4 through 5, and then verse 18. All right, thank you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Okay, so Jim, is that talking about proper clothing? Yes. Okay, and in the case of Revelation, what is it that those people who present themselves to the Lord should be wearing? They should be wearing white and of proper clothing. Ah, okay. And if they're not, and the Lord returns, what will Jesus say about them? They'll be cast out. Yeah. So do you see, you kind of see a parallel between Revelation and the judgment and the wedding feast, the kaf, what did I say, kafkan, kafta, uh, kaftan, they're not, they're not wearing the white robe that they should be wearing. And only the, this is interesting, only the king can discern the condition of their heart on the day of judgment. In other words, these could be people who grew up in church and went to church and went through all the, the motions and, you know, got involved, but inside their heart was not correct. They just weren't offering acts of obedience and being uh, righteous before God. Okay. Uh, Do you want me to read 18? Yeah, please. Advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments, that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and I slave to anoint your eyes, that you may see. Okay, this is a church in, in Asia Minor that, that Jesus is addressing. In other words, were these non-Christians or Christians that this was been written to? Is one of the seven churches written to Christians? Yeah. Did all of the people think they were saved in this first century church? Of course they did. But yet, listen to Jesus through the Spirit speaking to them. I advise you to buy. Right? You need this and you need this because you don't have what's required to enter heaven. Interesting. Interesting concept. All right, who's next? Yeah, button. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord? holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. All right, in this case, Stacy, what merited the white robe to these people uh, that were talking to the Lord? I don't know. They were martyred for the cause of Christ. They were waiting under the souls of those that were waiting under the altar. How long, O Lord, until you avenge what? Our blood. Wait a little longer. He said, because you're not the only ones that are going to die for the cause of Christ. There will be others as well. But in the meantime, here you go. Here's your white robe. Right? You paid it all. You gave everything. You have, you are officially sheep. <laughs> will be called into my kingdom. Hang in there. <laughs> There's a few more that have to die. Interesting. Thanks, Stacy. All right. Uh, looks like our next one is 7, 9 through 13. Ryan? 
After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count, and every nation and all tribes and peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These are the clothed in white robes. Who are they and where have they come from? Okay. So I think by this time we know the answer to that rhetorical question. These are the ones who have been pure, who are, who are wearing the white robes, uh, granted them by the Father himself because of their righteous deeds. They're not goats. And that's so important. You see, as uh, Jim read earlier in one of the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, these were brethren. And the Spirit came to them and said, Hey, guys, I got a message for you. You need to change your clothing. You need to, to buy certain things to be presented pure. You need to have white garments on because your garments are stained. And uh, that's, that's a very sobering thought. goes back to the wedding feast. The king who had the ability to discern knew this man was not wearing the garment that was required. No one else knew, just the king. All right, and I think our last one is Galatians 3.27. Roy, thank you. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Okay, now how in the world, Roy, does that relate to what we've just talked about? That's part of you're, you're actually putting on his... You're putting on Christ through his manner and through his ways because when you're baptized and you come up out of the water, you become a new person, a new... You're seeking new things. You're seeking to be with God, to be yes. there with God. Right. So when person is presented to the Lord on that final day and they have not put on Christ, how do they do that, Roy, according to the verse? How do they put on Christ? They were baptized into Christ. Baptized into Christ. Into Christ. They have put him on. Yes. He is now their garment. And following their immersion into the water and resurrection into a new life, they live a righteous life clothed in Jesus and washed in his blood. So the father looks down and says, these are righteous children who have been washed in my son's blood. They're now clothed in Jesus Christ. We use that scripture a lot to, to teach the gospel that obeying the gospel requires water baptism because that is how one puts on Christ, to be clothed in Christ. Yeah. And so when Jesus sees us on that day and he's judging all of mankind, he goes, I know you, you're wearing me. <laughs> you're one of my children. You've performed righteous deeds and you're washed in my blood. Father, Father, come here. Let me show you. Let me introduce you to one of my brothers. That's a, isn't that an exciting concept? But it is the fakes are going to be weeded out. All right? The folk, we, go ahead. Can we look at 26? Yeah, go ahead. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Yep. So, again, I, I don't have that ability or gift to look into a person's heart and discern if they're a child of God or not a child of God, but I can certainly inspect fruit. I can look at their life and see how they treat other people. What do they do with the money? Maybe gleaned through their ministry. Do they use it to save people or do they use it to buy jets and Bentleys? God knows. There are megachurch evangelists out there who have mansions and Bentleys and Learjets. I would sort of question their motives. I can't make that judgment, though. Only God can. All right. Um, quickly, uh, somebody turn to 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And, and Jim, I really want to kind of bring this to full closure about the clothing 
because I think the clothing that we're wearing really goes much, much deeper. And it's something that the Lord tells Samuel when he's anointing um, a young man, not exactly somebody that he would say looks like a king, but this is very compelling. First uh, Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, so Jim, I think that's the key right there. What makes us white, what makes us pure in the eyes of the Father, it's, it's our heart condition. Um, so I just made some notes as I was writing this. Jesus knows the purity of each man's heart. Would you agree with that or disagree? Okay. There are examples in the New Testament where he was interacting with some of the religious leaders and it made him sad and angry because he knew the condition of their heart. He even said, your hearts are hardened. All right. Secondly, Jesus knows the inner motives and the desires and the intent of each man. There's some great actors in the church who may not have hearts that are in accord with what God wants, but they can put on a good show. Can I discern them? Maybe not. But God knows. Finally, Jesus knows that some do a good job of impersonating. Let's go back to our parable that we read tonight. There was a guy that made it in, right? And he was enjoying the feast and sitting at the table and Nobody had even questioned him until one person came. Who was that? The king. The king had the ability to discern the things that the attendants at the door, other guests had not discerned, and that is you are not clothed properly. So we know it wasn't the clothing, per se. We know that it was the condition of their heart. I want to talk for just a minute about the fruits of the Spirit. Why are the fruits of the Spirit imported in our conversation tonight? I'm not in any hurry. That's fine. We can wait. Not a hard question. Basically, if, you, if your spirit is right, you will produce fruit. Amen. And you said earlier you, you don't have that ability to, to look inside a man's heart and, and see, but if they're producing fruit, you don't have to be able to do that. I think it was Brother Marshall Keeble. I've heard this said about him that he said, I don't have the ability to discern a man's heart. I just don't know. But I can be a fruit inspector right i can be a fruit inspector so the fruit he's talking about is not apples oranges bananas pineapple you know fruits of the spirit joy love joy peace patience kindness goodness long suffering if those things are evident in your life chances are good that you're wearing the right clothes <laughs> okay chances are really good because i think people who are imposters tend to fall short when it comes to to producing fruits of the Spirit. Now, Jim, I want to get back to another question you had. Why were some of the guests who maybe were wearing the right clothing allowed to stay if they were evil? Right? Good question. I appreciate your discernment. So, in Matthew 13 and verse 36, Jim, we have a parable of the weeds, the wheat and the tares. You recall that parable? Some of the servants came into the master and said, oh no, we just discovered that an enemy has come and sown uh, tares along with the wheat. Should we go out and separate them now? Y'all remember the parable? What did the master say? Yeah, go ahead, just rip out those tares right now. Is that what he said? With you. Yeah, I think he may be referring to the parable of the soils. But the wheat and the tares, the master said, 
No, wait until when? Harvest time, right? Because then we'll harvest the wheat and separate the wheat and the tares at the end of the process, not in the growing season. So, Jim, to answer your question, there may be people who are tares among the wheat, and the Father in his wisdom has said, we're going to sort all that out at the end, when the sheep and the goats are separated. You could have had a sheep living around with the goats for a long time, but we're going we're gonna to figure out that that's a sheep or a goat at the end. And again, the Father will judge righteously. He'll be 100% correct. He'll be just, and he never makes mistakes. And I appreciate that about the Father. So if we're bearing fruits of righteousness, um, Patsy, if we're living a righteous life, and doing the things that we need to do in obedience, then we can be confident. We can be confident that we're wearing robes of white and ready. At the end of the parable, it says, many are called, but few are chosen. So let's, what's our takeaway tonight? Our takeaway from this parable is check your garments, check your heart, check the fruits that you bear, and be ready to meet the Lord. Appreciate your comments tonight. All right, I think we're all here. We'll go ahead and get started with our, our invitation. Uh, I heard a story that was cute today on the radio. I think it was WNKJ was talking about focus on the family. And one young lady that was a nurse was relating a story that uh, she worked with young patients, adolescents. And so she would do all the, you know, the blood pressure and the heart rate and listen to the heart and all those things before the doctor saw them. But one of the things she did to kind of warm up to the children and have the children warm up to her is she would she would take the stethoscope and put it in the child's ears right and then she'd take the little listening device and put it on their heart and their eyes would get big and they're like wow what is that thump 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 sound well that's your heart and every now and then she'd ask the child do you do you know what you're listening to well she said she always will remember one little boy who she put the stethoscope uh, in his ears and, and then put it to his chest and his, he kind of looked interesting and thought for a minute, you know what you hear, she said? And he looked at her and he said, is that Jesus knocking inside me? She said, no, that's your heart beating, but Jesus may be knocking inside you too. So somewhere along the line, he had probably heard about Jesus knocking or Jesus knocking at the door of your heart, but he wanted to know if that was Jesus knocking. In Revelation chapter 3, we hear the Lord saying, Those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be earnest and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. To the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I just want you to visualize Jesus knocking. Jesus is knocking on hearts all the time, and, and I appreciate each one of you being here tonight. You made a choice to come to Midweek Bible Study, 
And I think you've already answered the response to Jesus knocking on your heart. You've let him in. You've obeyed the gospel. You're here studying the Bible. Those are all good things. But my question is simply this. My invitation is not necessarily to you, but to you as an ambassador. Who do you know who needs Jesus? Because I believe Jesus may be knocking at their heart as we speak. and They're not sure how to answer or what to do if they open the door, but you can guide them and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus is knocking on your heart and he wants to come in. Can I tell you about Jesus? So tonight as we offer you the invitation, there may be somebody that you're working with or know, a coworker, friend, family member who needs Jesus. Maybe he's knocking on the door of their heart and they haven't yet opened that door. How can we help you reach them? Whatever your need is tonight, we're going to sing an invitation song. You lead us, Howard? All right. So we invite you to come if you have a need or if you want to share a name of somebody that we can pray for. Jesus is knocking on hearts every day. Let's stand and sing. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. Strong in the strength which God supplies. Strong in the strength which God supplies through his beloved Son. Strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power. Who in the strength of Jesus trust? Who in the strength of Jesus trust is more than conqueror? That having all things done and all your conflicts past. You may overcome through Christ alone. You may overcome through Christ alone and stand entire at last. Be seated, please. Kevin's making his way down, and he'll be leading us in prayer in just a moment. So if you have any particular prayer requests or updates on the sick, we'll be sure and include those. Here's the, what we know so far on the sick. Genevieve Hutchinson had a biopsy today. There's a mass in her throat, and she should get the results next week. So be mindful of that. If she has to have surgery, that's certainly putting her at risk having anesthesia. We're told Brenda Holt's going to be having an injection in her hips. She has bone spurs. That will be tomorrow at Tenova. I want to encourage each of you to come back on Sunday night for our young men's service. And um, we're just so proud that our young men are getting involved and will be doing speaking and praying and leading us in song and uh, just developing those leadership skills. We do need someone to coordinate the youth and senior supper schedule for February 8th. So see Ryan or sign up on our board in the foyer. There's also a sign-up list for coordinators for youth and senior supper on the youth bulletin board. A men's prayer breakfast will be Saturday, February 11. I'll try to get a sign-up sheet if you want to bring a particular food. Just let us know what you're bringing, and um, you can check on that. It's February 11, 830 and um, we'll have a sheet in the foyer if you plan to attend. The Sweetheart Banquet will be Saturday, February 11, at 6 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. We do have a sign-up list for that. And finally, the Picking and Ribs Fundraiser for Lawwood Christian Camp is going to be Saturday, March 4. That'll be 6 p.m. at Trenton Crossing. Uh, there is a flyer. You can look at that. And for information or tickets, you can see Noah Eastland or Dale Murray. Either one of them can help you. What's our count tonight? 103, great. Very good. All right, is there any other updates on the sick or messages or prayer requests before Kevin leads us? Anybody? Yes. Okay. Did you get that, Kevin? All right, we'll be sure and include them in prayer. Anyone else? Thank you.
Okay. Did you get that too, Kevin? All right. Thanks, Kevin. All right, yes. Okay, that's your sister-in-law. Okay, tell me her name again. Okay, Vicki Kratzer. Okay, all right. Thank you. A lot of people needing prayers. All right, is that every one of all the updates we need? Okay, and be sure to look at the bulletin as well. You can see who we need to pray for, those that are on our prayer list. All right, Kevin, if you'll dismiss us. God, our Lord, we are so humbled, Father, to be able to come before you, Father, to express, Father, um, those who are on our hearts, Father, on our minds at this time. And, uh, Father, we know that, um, that you'll hear us uh, whenever we ask you, Father, for things. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to uh, be mindful every day, Lord, of, of uh, the, the task that you've given us, uh, Father, to seek out and, and to spread your word, Father, on this earth. Uh, Father, those names that uh, we want to bring before you at this time, we want to uh, pray for uh, Ms. Genevieve, uh, Ms. Brenda, uh, Dennis, Paulette, Denise, uh, Vicki, Father. You know all these different circumstances, Father, all the, the tests that are going on, Father, and in some cases, Father, the uh, different surgeries, Father, that are taking place. We just pray, Lord, that you'll bless uh, each one of those situations, Father, that the uh, the best outcome, Father, the, the right outcome will, will come through, Lord. And uh, we know, Father, that you uh, will be glorified, Father, through all of them. And, Lord, we just pray that uh, you'll continue to watch over the congregation here at Stroudsville, Father. We're grateful, Lord, for um, all the, the different opportunities, Father, we have to, to serve, Father, the different opportunities we have to uh, gather together, to uh, be able to strengthen one another, Father, to, to learn about one another, and to uh, be able, Father, to uh, have those relationships, Lord, that uh, at times, Father, we need. Uh, when we're struggling, and we pray, Lord, that you help us to uh, take advantage of those opportunities uh, to be, Father, brothers and sisters. And uh, we're so grateful, Father, for all the young people that we have um, in this congregation, Lord, and we just pray uh, as young men, Father, be preparing for a service this upcoming Sunday evening, Father, just pray that you uh, will be with them, uh, give them strength, Father, give them courage, and uh, we know, Father, they will uh, do a great job. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that that confidence, Father, will, will continue not only here, but uh, as they go out into this world, Father, that they uh, will be able to spread your word. Uh, again, Father, we are so grateful for all the things that you bless us with, all the things that uh, we don't deserve, Lord, but you um, have given them to us. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to uh, be the people that we need to be, Father, that we will be the light uh, in this dark world. We're so thankful for Christ. We're so thankful that you uh, allowed him, Father, to come to this earth to, uh, to save us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.